Good morning, everybody. This is Soccer Living Podcast. I'm Mark Lincere. It's early for me, not even 8 a.m. yet. I've been up since 4 a.m. Now, I know some of you might wake up that early every day and go, Mark, no big deal. And I give you props for that because typically that's like the middle of the night for me. Now, I'm usually up between 6.30 and 7, but my point is this. I was up, I, I fell asleep early last night too. Nothing wrong. Everything's good. Got my eight hours of sleep and I was up at four. My wife was very proud of me. Went out with the dogs and her in pitch darkness, walking around our neighborhood. Dogs liked it. I liked it. It felt good. Got my head together. Trying not to stress out about tomorrow night's game in Minnesota, U.S. against Honduras. Has turned into a must win. And, And you know what, folks, for me, Every game in CONCACAF is a must win, and 90% of them are should wins. Now, Canada the other day, I mean, got the better of us. And I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow, but I think, and I'm paraphrasing here, Greg's quote, and I might have covered a lot of this in my last episode if you really want to hear me go off on Greg. is he To paraphrase him, he said something like, the result doesn't hurt, or the result hurts, but the way we play doesn't hurt. Or something illogical that doesn't even make sense. And this is why Greg does this. Because he can get away with it, folks. For years when I was covering the U.S. men's national team with a national soccer magazine, I went to numerous games. And Bruce Arena did the same thing. And they've all figured it out. Is that our our media is not savvy enough. It's just not to go toe-to-toe with these guys in in an interview. You see it in other sports, football, basketball, baseball. When the coach says something silly, or let's just say stupid like that, the media challenges them on that. Greg, you're not happy with the result. Of course, we lost 2-0. But you're happy with the performance? We lost 2-0. We got outplayed. I still keep reading and hearing about Greg trying to do this in the lineup. Greg trying to do this out there. Guys, I'm going to have to meet with some of you, and you're going to have to show me that. I'm going to to play stupid here for a minute after 46 years in this game of every single day, but I don't understand what anybody's talking about. Our team plays soccer. They're international soccer players. They all know how to press. They all know how to sit back when you have to and absorb a little pressure and look to counterattack. They all know how to cross the ball and combine up the wing once in a while. That's not like a style or a system. So when people are out there saying, Greg's system, Greg's style, there is no system. There is no style. We just go out and play soccer, folks. You're giving Greg way too much credit. We're giving the players too much credit. You don't even need coaches at this level, to be honest with you. We always we always joke about it, right? I'm sure you do with your friends. Do you think the Brazilians really listen to what their coach says? Well, they do. At the same time, the coach is basically helping mold those players together during camps because they don't all play together. Obviously, they're at different clubs. And the Brazilian style has is, is morphed a little bit. It's evolved. but. They all still know what the role is when they come into play Argentina 
or Paraguay or Uruguay or Chile. I mean, we're the only team I always hear us talking about, Greg's trying to do this or we're trying to do this. No, we're not. And if we are, we're never achieving it. So maybe we could just stop talking about it. We just play soccer, guys. We've got guys at Chelsea, Juventus, Dortmund, you know, all over the Bundesliga. We have guys everywhere. These guys are professional players that get paid a lot of money to play every day. Now, let me let me give you this analogy. Let's just say you're a musical band, a rock band. All the guys came from other bands, and they're all capable of being a drummer, being a bass player, being a, a singer, being an electric guitar. They're all professionals at what they do. They're all good at what they do. Now, the leader of the band, his job or their job is to get everybody to come together and, and as close as you can to perfect harmony and say, perform a gig on a Friday night, right? Together. And then after watching that band play, you'd say, hey, man, those guys really had it together. They were sharp. They were in sync. It sounded good. They had some good chemistry, a little banter between songs. That was entertaining. Those guys obviously looked like they were prepared. They were playing fast tonight. They were playing intense, frantic. Maybe that's what they wanted to do, right? You could, you could identify those things, hopefully. You should be able to. Whereas, like I said, with our national team, well, we were really looking to get the ball up the wing. Yeah, of course you are. That's where all the space is in this game, folks. It's typically out wide. But let's stop calling, like just analyzing a soccer match, a style or a system of play. Everybody has to play a formation. And now if you know the game, you know that the second that game kicks off, you rarely see that formation again. And your defending block, yes, you should. But there's a rotation. If the right back goes up the wing, somebody is supposed to fill in that right back until he works his way back. That's a player rotation. They have it. It's fluid. It's happening all the time. But what we're trying to do with our media and everybody, a lot of people watching the game here is we're trying to make it like American football or basketball where you have plays or baseball where you simply are always running the same direction, same bases. It's always the same. That's not soccer. It's in constant flux. And that's the beauty of it. And you need to watch enough of it and be around people that understand the game to discuss that. But to go back to my point about Greg and the media is, guys, if you lose your job over challenging the U.S. coach or you lose your credential to U.S. soccer matches, you won't, number one. I used to blast U.S. soccer back when I wrote for 90 Minutes Soccer Magazine for years on end. Accurately, I'm not just blasting people and their personality because I don't like them. I didn't really know anybody. I got to know them during interviews, during the Q&As after matches, and by watching them work. And then as a media member, you develop your opinions and perspectives based on that, right? And the performance of the team. And then you say, it was awesome. It was not awesome. It's garbage. It was kind of garbage. Then you evaluate it and you try to provide honest commentary. Not the commentary that you think everybody wants to hear. Not the commentary you think is going to get you more likes and everybody talking about you on Twitter, even though you're wrong. It's supposed to come from an honest place, a place of passion and assessing the level of a team that obviously you care a lot about, which I do. 
and saying, hey, we're headed in the wrong direction or, hey, we're headed in the right direction. Things feel good. Let's keep our guard up and keep pushing. Or we have a coach that's more worried about silly coffee cups and tricked out sneakers and behind the back passes on the sideline than playing the guys in the right spots and understanding that we have to qualify. We have to. And I know everybody gets, some people get alarmed by this. Gosh, Mark, you're so tough on everybody. Well, how would you have me be? Hey, Greg, I know you make over a million dollars a year. Would you like mine not goofing around with our lineup one time and just give us a lineup we'd all like to see? Like maybe the guy who went to Germany just now for $20 million, Ricardo Pepe, maybe gets on the field for more than scrub minutes after you get done playing Jesus Ferreira, who didn't belong in there the other day, and then your own player at Columbus and Zardis, who didn't do anything again for the 10th time. And Ricardo Pepe just sitting there on the bench going, I wonder what else I could do. Well, you could be playing for a coach that knows what he's doing. And here's the thing, guys. I don't know, Greg. I've never seen him coach a, a session in front of me at the convention or at a camp. You know, and I know a lot of other guys in that generation from having played with and against them and watching them closely all these years as players and developing into managers. And there was nothing. There was nothing when Greg got hired that made me say Greg deserves that job. And again, I don't know him personally. Could be a great guy. We're not talking about whether Greg's a great guy or not now. That's not my place. My place is to comment on what he's doing with our national team. And I think he's making an absolute mess out of things. Why? Because he's doing what we all did the first time we went to a U.S. soccer national coaching license. I remember when I came back from my C license a week long at University of San Diego, loved my coaches, learned a lot. But you come back to your club team or your high school team or your junior college team or whatever, and you literally try to impart all this new U.S. soccer philosophy like in the first session. 4v4, two floating neutral attackers, six goals, cones and bibs and pennies everywhere. Everybody's going different directions. You're stopping at every two seconds. Freeze. Let's bring it back. It's all over the place, folks. Soccer is a simple game. The beauty in this game, the beautiful game, as Pele called it, and millions and millions, billions of people have called it since and probably before, the simplicity of this game is what makes it so beautiful. And we're trying to complicate it in this country, in the U.S., because that's all we're used to. And we're used to set-piece sports, so to speak, football. 35 seconds off in the huddle. Your average play in the NFL, I believe, is six seconds long. Basketball, 250 points a game. Like last night, I just saw a score. It was a Golden State game, 122 to 108. Do you think anybody in the NBA even knows what the word defense means anymore? No, they don't because it's just outscore the other guy, and that's that sport. That's okay. And then baseball is going the other way with everybody scuffing the ball and pitchers able to throw 100-mile-an-hour curveballs nowadays. Nobody can even hit the ball because they're all trying to hit home runs. And that's trickling all the way down to youth sports, which is ridiculous. So you're fail- we're failing our kids in even baseball now. Just learn how to hit home runs and swing for the fences every time. That's not a, that doesn't make any sense at all. Used to be hit and run, drag bunts, 
stealing home, all this exciting stuff for baseball, exciting stuff. At least somebody was doing something. So where we're at now is I've been up for, now I've been up for four hours and Greg's already got me worked up and I'm starting my Tuesday already stressed out about what Greg is thinking right now as he does his lottery ball pick or however he does his lineup for tomorrow night. Tyler Adams is hurt. Doesn't break my heart. I do like Tyler Adams. I don't mean that. I don't want him to be hurt. I don't like Chris Richards is hurt. Maybe a broken foot. That's not good news. But both those guys can be replaced if you ask me. I think with Tyler Adams, it's a unique opportunity for Greg tomorrow night against Honduras in Minnesota to go with what I recommended the other night on my podcast, which is a 3-4-3. So in the midfield, your holding mid is Musa, Giannis Musa, who I like a lot, and he's still a very young guy, and McKinney in front of him. And those two guys are actually interchangeable if they needed to be, and they should be. That, that's a handful for the other team to deal with in our center midfield. And I also think having two center midfielders will just make the roles more defined. The one thing I don't like about this, you know, three midfielders all, you know, clumped up together in the middle, Tyler Adams, McKinney, and, and Musa, is I think the roles get confused. You know, who's the creator in there? Who's the, who's the bone-crushing stud that's going to clog up space and, and intimidate the other team and make them afraid to attack us down the middle. Could be Tyler Adams. Should be, but he likes to be on the ball a lot. He kind of wants to do what McKinney does. And then Musa, I think Musa is the most capable, honestly, of playing that holding role and being like they talk about, the McAuley role. Protect the back four. Get stuck in when you need to. Clog up space. Cut off passes. Crunch people on tackles to start counterattacks. I think Musa would be very good at that role. Personally speaking, I think Tyler Adams is incredibly overrated. Gets it, he's got the captain's armband. I mean, guys, again, now there's rumors of him going places, but I, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. McKinney, I mean, the guy starts for Juventus. We better see a lot out of him. Same thing with Sergio Dest. You know, everybody's like all high on him now suddenly. Yeah, we should be. The guy usually starts for Barcelona, folks. Same thing with why we're all over Pulisic, because we're like, he starts for Chelsea. Yeah, you need to put that same pressure on all these other guys in Europe that are making millions of dollars playing a game. Pulisic, again, you got to get somebody in there to protect him. Guaranteed. I talked about this at length on my last podcast. Go back and listen. Guaranteed Honduras comes out tomorrow on a really what's supposed to be a very cold night Minnesota and starts hacking at Pulisic right off the bat. Chipping away at him, kicking him, pushing him, shoving him. Who are we going to have that goes in there right away to the ref and says, no more, not tonight. And to the Honduras guy says, no way. You're not chipping away at Christian tonight. You start that, we're all going to start that. We're going to take this to a level you can't stand as far as tackles and hitting people. Cleanly, but strongly and with intent and also letting our other teams know that you can't just come in to our home fields and keep kicking our guys all the time and limit their movements, limit their influence on the game. Everybody's going to continue to do it, guys, to us until we, we put an end to it. The way you do that is you regulate things on the field. Again, I'm not promoting headbutts and elbows and you know two-footed studs, high tackles. Not at all. I am big-time anti-against that. 
all that. And I was a tough player. I like contact. I like hitting, but clean, hard hits. That cheap stuff has no place in the game. But you also got to make sure the other team knows they can't get away with it. Who's going to do that tomorrow night in Minnesota? Actually, we have Walker Zimmerman, Nashville FC's center back, and who I feel is incredibly underrated right now with our U.S. national team. He's back tomorrow night. He'll be our field general back there. And he's the guy that's got to go up to the referee and let him know. Nuh-uh. Not kicking our top guys all night. And then let the Honduras guys know. Now, you can say it to them, but you got to show them. Show them with your play, Walker. Show them that they're not going to just hit our best guys and our creators all night long and limit their movement and influence in the match. Somebody's got to do it. And we got to stop talking so much about Greg. Greg is limited in what he can do anyway because he's not on the pitch. And I firmly do believe that soccer is a player's game. I think so much of what the coaches do on the sideline and the managers nowadays, they have to do. It's for the fans. It's for the cameras. Because if a coach is making $15 million a year, they can't just sit there on the bench and be like, I don't know, it's a player's game. We'll see what happens in the next 90 minutes. So a lot of it is theatrics. But a lot of it is also that these players nowadays, the modern player, as we'll call them, apparently seem to need that. They always need to seem to, seem to need the encouragement and the prodding and the pushing. But Greg just, he's busy doing his behind-the-back passes, talking about his sneakers and his coffee cups. If you don't know that, those stories, look it up on the online. It's amazing. Here's a guy that in any other country, like Mexico, Tata's on the hot seat. Couple unfavorable results, and people are calling for him to maybe be out in Mexico. This is a guy that we wanted or should have got before Mexico grabbed him. And Greg's over there, little tricky passes on the sideline while we're losing, sneakers, talking about coffee mugs. That could be considered disassociating from reality. Because he doesn't want to deal with reality because what he sees in the game in his jumbled up soccer mind is nothing that we can ever achieve on the pitch. And what he what he sees isn't doesn't probably even make sense. So I don't even need to, to talk to him about what he sees in the game. We don't have a style, folks. We don't have a system. We go out and play. There's things we should be focusing on more than others. You know, the back four the other night was terrible. We had some new new guys in there, guys that hadn't played a real soccer game in months. Get the nod over guys playing in Europe. And we saw it. Too slow. Too methodical. Not reading the game quick enough. Too much space between the center backs and our outside backs. Big mess. Big loss. Canada looks like they're going to the World Cup and they deserve it. We're all watching that, that Canadian coach. Wanting him to be our coach. Greg, when do you think that would ever happen? Again, no disrespect to Canada, but this is sports. This is how it goes. So all the U.S. fans the other night when Canada was feeling on top of the world, and they should, and their coach is celebrating with the crowd, we were all like, we want that guy coaching us. All of us were. I'm going to generalize right now. I'm, yes, I am speaking. Mark, you're not I am speaking for everybody. Yes, we all want the Canadian coach to be our coach, and we'll give you Greg. You think Canada, let's, let's put it in perspective how bad a situation we're in right now with our manager. Do you think Canada would take us up on that trade? We'll take Greg 
We'll give you Greg. Sorry, we already got Greg. We'll give you Greg, and we'll take Herd, Herdman, their coach. No, they'd be like, thank you, but no thanks. He can do all his little back passes. He can have his shiny little sneakers, and he can talk about his coffee mugs all day long while Herdman and our team are getting ready to punch our ticket to Qatar. It's not a good situation, folks. And nobody's panicking yet because we're like, CONCACAF is, is so bad that we'll probably end up pulling it off. That's what we thought last World Cup, people. And it didn't work out so well. And I'm telling you, we cannot afford to lose any more games and not qualify. And you're like, what do you mean we can't afford? We're hosting the World Cup in 26. We get the automatic bid. That's not the point. I read the other day, another media, soccer media guy that's more proud of being an American football fan than a soccer fan. It was talking about, you know, Honduras is basically not going anywhere. They don't really have a whole lot to play for. So we should be okay tomorrow night. So now all we're hoping is that the other teams are so bad and so dinged up with injuries or yellow card suspensions or can't bring half the team here because of whatever, that then we can win. So we're just hoping that the level of competition is so Awful that then we have a chance? That's what this guy was basically saying. It's inexplicable. It's coming from people that don't know the game. You know, and I get that part of like, hey, we're American media guys, so we got to be able to relate to the rest of the country by showing that I'm an American football fan or that I watch the World Series. Why? Are you writing for American football guys? Are you writing for basketball or baseball or you know, hockey people? No, you're a soccer writer. And I know there's a lot of cross over nowadays. You know, Alex Rodriguez was at baseball legend. Alex Rodriguez was at a Chelsea game lately, recently. And everybody was like, oh, wow, look, Alex Rodriguez is at a Chelsea game. Soccer must really be here now. It must finally have arrived. Why? Because other guys in other sports are finally paying attention. You know how much I care about that? Not at all. I could care less the same way that baseball doesn't care that I'm not paying attention. They care about them. Football cares about football, basketball. We're the only sport because we're so starved for approval here in this country that we're always looking to other sports. Oh, Tom Brady gave a shout out to the revolution. Whether he did or not, I don't know. That must mean soccer's popular now. Guys, no, no, no. Stop all that. Soccer is popular now. It's been the most popular sport in the world for hundreds of years. It caught on in the U.S. because, yeah, all these kids have grown up with the game now and we've got more soccer than we can even watch on TV. We've got players everywhere. We have a legitimate pro league. We've got billions of ordinary kids playing the game and being coached by ordinary guys and just developing billions of ordinary players every day. But most importantly, we're looking at a very special time in our national team where we have guys, I mean, we have guys starting for Juventus, folks. That was, I mean, to think that would be unheard of just a few years ago. Chelsea. You know, guys looking at team, guys being scouted by Bayern Munich. And we have, I mean, Zach Steffen at Man City. I mean, Zach Steffen's manager is arguably the greatest manager in the history of the game in Pep Guardiola. So we have guys in big-time environments nowadays. We've been dreaming about this. Those of us that have been sticking around long enough to see it all, 
We've been dreaming about this. We won't compete on a world scale until our guys are playing on all those same elite teams that all the guys from Spain and Germany and the Netherlands and France and Brazil are playing and Argentina are playing on. Now we have guys there. Not enough of them yet, but we have guys there. But the problem, the challenge is that Greg's not good enough. He's not up to the task. It's that simple. So who's next? I don't know yet. That's another podcast. The other thing I wanted to talk about, and this is actually why I wanted to start the podcast this morning, and I got sidetracked, big surprise, is that Clint Dempsey, Hope Solo, and Shannon Box all being inducted into the Hall of Fame. You know, for Clint, for example, I've had the opportunity to interview him a couple of times. Actually interviewed his brother at the Frisco, Texas MLS Cup years ago. I believe that was LA Galaxy beating New England Revolution. His brother's an awesome guy. Clint, humble. Everybody loves Clint. In case you're wondering, guys, everybody you talk to loves Clint Dempsey. Former players, media, pundits, even opponents. I mean, what a guy. What a what a career he had going over to Fulham, going over to Tottenham. Obviously, you know, doing great things here in MLS. But, you know, like I said, I was at a Champions League game, Fulham and Wolfsburg at Craven Cottage. And the crowd is singing and, and chanting to have songs and chants for Clint Dempsey. You got to be something special, folks, before an English crowd will sing you a song or create their own cheer for you or their own chant. You've got to be doing something pretty darn special for that to happen. And he was, and he did at Fulham. Scored a lot of goals. We all remember the world-class chip shot against Juventus. But congratulations to Clint. Congratulations to Hope Solo. Shannon Box went to South Torrance High School, just minutes away from my high school in the South Bay in Los Angeles for Bishop Montgomery. Congratulations to her and so Hope Solo as well. You know, it's an exciting time in U.S. soccer, guys. You know, we have to qualify for Cutter because we're going to build on that when we're hosting with Mexico and Canada in 2026. You know, the last World Cup we hosted was 94. You know, none of these kids were around at the time. So we're going into with the TV now, with the internet, all the resources we have now going into 2026 is going to be a lot of exciting stuff going on to prepare for it and build up to it. But, but we can't forget, we have to qualify for Qatar. We cannot be hosting a World Cup coming off of two World Cups that we haven't even participated in. That's inexcusable. That's unimaginable. And it cannot happen. And if it does happen, it's because we all fell asleep at the switch and watched Greg doing his back passes and shining his sneakers while our team struggled to have a, a vision that they could simply implement on the field and get positive results. So remember that. Managing, managing and coaching isn't about complicating the simple. It's about making the complicated simple. Did I say that right? But it's making things simple. Even though if you watch behind the crest or the, the show with, you know, Man City, do not watch those halftime talks if you're not ready to have your brain scrambled with the speed that Pep goes through when he's talking about the brain board at halftime. And those guys get it, and I loved it, because if you know what the game is talking about and you know your particular role, he's flying through that stuff, and those guys all know. Because all that stuff's already worked on. All that stuff's been fleshed out. He's just kind of reconnecting the dots and pointing out things at that 15-minute halftime. 
Greg's just got to help us connect the dots, folks. It's a simple game. And you guys, some people are getting all enamored by the fact that he's so complicated. Not the way it works. Get it simple. Get results. Get us to Cutter in November. That's the name of the game. That's what he's paid to do, and he's got to do it. 